And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 79 of the Keith Law Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. My guest today is going to be Christina Carl, who I have known for, I believe, a quarter century now. We first met when we were working on a little project called Baseball Prospectus, back when it was just a book and a tiny website. We also worked together at ESPN. We have both since moved on. She's at the San Francisco Chronicle now. You know where I am. My last piece for The Athletic so far has been most recent piece, I should say, that sounded more ominous than I intended it to be. But I did do two notebooks, actually, on my time in the Arizona Fall League. And have since then been working on my free agent rankings for this offseason. Those will run within a couple of days of the end of the World Series. It does kind of depend on when the World Series ends. If the World Series is a sweep, I think we might put them up on Monday, which means I need to get them finished this week. If the World Series is a little more exciting than that, I don't want to see a sweep. I don't really care who wins, but longer series just tend to be better for everyone. Then we will just do the free agents a day or two after the end of the World Series. And then I'll try to do some hot stove content after that, even though I am not particularly sanguine about us having a regular hot stove season with talk of the owners locking out the players. I would also like to remind everyone, I will just do this on every episode, that I do have two books out. And as you are doing your holiday shopping, please consider giving everyone on your list multiple copies of Smart Baseball and The Inside Game. They are both out now in paperback. Well, now it is my great pleasure to be joined by my very longtime friend, probably about 25 years or so now, Christina Carl. We wrote together at a little site called Baseball Prospectus way back in the uh, the way before times in the 90s. And since then, she and I walk, also worked together at ESPN. She is now the sports editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Delighted to join you, Keith. Absolutely. So we have a billion things to talk about, I think. But why don't we start with the World Series, which is starting just a few hours after we have this conversation. Um, before we talk predictions, which we have to do, even though I think they're kind of useless. <laughs> um, how badly busted is your postseason bracket? Because mine is just totally broken. Oh, yeah. Now, if I had done a postseason bracket, uh, it's it's broken. As broken as baseball's postseason system, I'll just say that. because. Uh, it was ridiculous that you would have a situation where the Giants and Dodgers are playing each other in the division series, and now we have an 88-win team in the World Series, but but here we are. Yep. So, you know, more power to the Braves, I guess, but oof. Uh, it is, it, it's pretty ludicrous. I mean, that plus what happened with the Rays, um, you can set aside, you know, like the questions on the day in-game decision-making that might have also taken the Rays out sooner than we expected, but not unlike what we saw in the 2020 World Series, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But that's where I kind of left with, you know, ultimately this is why we say the postseason is a crapshoot. But, yeah, it's it's just – it's a shocker. I mean, I'm not that surprised that 
necessarily that Houston, I mean, if you would hit between the two pennant winners, if you would ask, ask me to predict, you know, like whether or not, like who had better, a better, who was a more realistic choice. Yeah. Houston is obviously the more realistic choice, but, um, but we've seen some things this, this month that like, you know, like kind of help explain why Atlanta is where it is. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting, but yeah. My bracket busted. Yeah, mine too. In fact, the two teams in the World Series knocked out the teams I predicted to win the World Series in the first round. So that's how, that's how poorly I did. This is what predictions are worth. Yes. I, I, I think I think uh, Joe Sheehan has always put it best that the least important words and and the exercise of making a prediction are the words at the end of the column. Right, which is the which is the first thing everyone looks for. Right, I well, mean that's a hundred percent. That's why we did a whole thing at the Athletic where it was they asked a bunch of us to submit you know predictions and one liners for the World Series, and mine made a reference to rolling a die because. Right? I, I don't know. I picked the team I think is better. That has not worked out for me at all so far this postseason, which either either means the better team doesn't always win, which we know is true, or that I actually can't tell which is the better team, which is definitely true. But these, again, there are more variables in play. And, you know, that's where the fun thing about, like, say, particularly this Astros team is that this is the best version. This is just about the best version of themselves mm-hmm. at exactly the right time, which is great for the Houston Astros if they want to win a, the World Series. Is it great as far as what that means for the last, you know, six and a half months? Not so much right. as far as like, you know, that, okay, so if you were a Houston Astros fan, you didn't get to see this lineup or this combination of talent for very much at all. But Flags fly forever, and, you know, like if you're used to the experience of rooting for the laundry, I mean, God knows the Braves have had so much turnover in this season that, uh, you you know, how many guys are left from their opening day roster uh, after the deadline trades and everything that's gone wrong with the pitching staff. It's, uh, you know, like, yeah, to some extent, you know, that's part of the the challenge uh, for any organization, but that the fact that, you know, ultimately the you know, fans in Atlanta are effectively rooting for Freddie Freeman and a bunch of guys, you know, is kind of, I mean, and that's not fair to Ozzy Albies or Dansby Swanson or a bunch of other people, but still, it's just kind of interesting as a, again, ultimately, if they win, they win, they win. Right. Uh, and they're without, you know, not just their best player, but one of the five best players in baseball, Acuna, they play better after he gets hurt. Now, I do not actually believe that means anything at all. I'm sure someone somewhere is preparing a hot take on how they actually don't need Acuna or he's overrated. God, if they win the World Series, uh, yeah. which they weren't my pick, which means nothing. They have a pretty good chance to win the World Series, I would say. There will be someone saying Acuna's overrated. I guarantee it. That take yeah. will be out there. I'm not espousing this take, obviously, no. but I do find it kind of fascinating that you can lose your best player and play better. Also, almost everything Alex Anthopoulos did kind of worked. Right, he made all these little moves. There was, I think, there was a fair amount of criticism of him for not making the bigger move, and yet he made a bunch of little moves and seemed like he hit on. Maybe he, maybe it was one I'm not remembering that didn't work, but it seemed like everything he did ended up working out, including Jorge Soler having basically the best two months maybe of his entire career after going to Atlanta. Well, and you know, like again, that's where. Uh... I, I do wonder, and I would be interested in hearing, like especially like however the series plays out, whatever Alex has to say on the subject of how this postseason, or essentially, 
he took some big swings and he mm-hmm. took some big swings at the deadline when he was running the Blue Jays. And the fact that he did not make that big swing this time around, but instead made like, you know, those more kind of like incremental gain kind of moves that ended up working out as well as they did is again, I think kind of fascinating both as a matter of approach and, and especially when you think about like the Braves farm system as a deck to deal from theoretically, he could have made the, 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 that huge deal and, and he did not. And so, and, and so the criticisms of what happened in Toronto, um, aren't going to come to light, you know, like, or, or aren't, didn't happen. There isn't a reason for it. Instead, you just sit there and say, wow, you, you both aced it at the deadline and you won a pennant and you know, that's all pretty kind of awesome. So I don't want to get too far into uh, narratives for the world series, but it is kind of interesting that both of these teams have a really major free agent playing for them. Carlos Correa, who I think is probably the best free agent in the class this winter when you combine age, position, production, um, your potential upside, given his age, he could still even be a little bit better. And Freddie Freeman on the other side, who's probably, although Cunha is the better player, Freeman is probably more the face of the franchise, just having been there for so long at this point. And I actually had a moment, I don't know, two weeks ago or so when I started working on my free agent rankings, it's like, Wait, they never re-signed him? I thought he was I thought he had some long-term extension. It turns out that's up, right? All of a sudden, you know, just time passes and we don't notice. All of a sudden, oh my God, Freddie Freeman's a free agent. What the hell? When did that happen? It's like looking at my teenager. When the hell did she wait, right? She was last time I looked, she was seven. Now she's fifteen. Yeah, no. Uh it's fascinating. And and what that means. I mean, it, this is gonna be such a screwy winter anyways, mm-hmm. in terms of what this means for Free, I mean, already with the labor situation, it's so uncertain as far as what's going to happen with any particular free agent. But how do you feel if you're Brandon Belt? Mm-hmm. And yes. so so if you're Brandon Belt and you're hitting the market at the same time and, and you had a career year and you're awesome, except you're hitting in the same market as, well, a bunch of people at first base and especially Freddie Freeman. And it's yep. like, OK, so whoever is going for that you know, like I'm going to spend more than $20 million on a first baseman, you know, whoever's in that pool. Well, Brandon, you're nice. You're yeah. awfully nice, but we're going to be talking to Freddie Freeman an awful lot. Or does it work out the other way around where he ends up like being that, I mean, for Belt's benefit, does he end up being the guy who kind of like, I'd say what Carlos Santana or some of the other, the free agent who strikes early and is like, Oh wow. I'm I, yeah. like, no, I'm not going to get the top of the market deal. But if I get this, you know, three year deal, for top dollar right now and I strike early in the market, mm-hmm. I win. Because if I wait for Freddie Freeman to sign at the end of January, I'm right. fucked. Yeah. I'm, how many bidders are left at that point? And so it's like, if you're Brandon Belt, you're probably a motivated seller. You want you want to sign and sign quickly as opposed to wait for Freddie Freeman to define the market or whatever. And it's like, and does anybody get to do that in an environment where nobody is sure about what kind of baseball season we're looking at in light of the labor situation. Right. If we're staring at a lockout, which yeah. it seems like there there may be a paper lockout. It seems likely there will be a paper lockout, right? Where where we're not actually losing any games yet, but Major League Baseball sort of declares an impasse and locks the players out and then we just and then nobody signs, right? This is sort of my fear as a both a fan and somebody who a lot of my off-season writing revolves around the hot stove is that mm-hmm. 
it's just going to be like, there's no gas to the hot stove probably yeah. for a while. So I agree with, you know, if there are teams that say, we're just going to go snap up some guys right now before mm-hmm. the hot stove goes completely cold. Belt seems like a perfect fit. He should be a short-term deal guy. He's 33. I think he's older mm-hmm. than some of the other um, comparable free agents. You're right. He is coming off basically an MVP type season. If you look at what he did in 20 and 21 and combine yeah. them, you get about a full season of production where he played like an MVP, but it's just because it was sp- uh, spread over the year and a half, it doesn't look like it. And also, how many contenders are actually out there looking for first baseman? I think the answer, mm-hmm. as usual, is not that many. Yeah. And or they understand that first base is a position where you can get, you know, a player you can win with for considerably less than top of the market pricing. And so that's where, because they're looking at how they're going to win. I mean, they're probably... If you're looking at the people who want to spend twenty to thirty million dollars per year, uh, like annual average value on a contract, you know the people in that market. If they're not already looking at Freddie Freeman, they're looking at Carlos Correa. They're looking at like you know the the, the difference making ball players and whether or not Brand. Nothing against Brandon Belt because he's would be a tremendous addition for mm-hmm. like a two or three year deal. But again, how many teams are looking at him making twenty million plus versus you know like saying like I'm only looking at this collection of guys and you know they may not want to settle for for brandon mill so yeah it's 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 a fascinating situation it's totally understandable why brandon crawford signed his like extension in season i know i'm getting i've been hyper focused locally for obvious reasons now with the chronicle but but that's where people who made that decision in season this year totally understandable um i do wonder if that's going to lead to a couple of other quick deals in november where people just sit there and say, like, I don't want to screw around. I don't want to be have question marks going into 2022. And I don't want to have to worry about, like, you know, being in that scramble from, you know, like, say it's, like, second week of February and they finally strike a deal and everybody's got a race to camp and everybody's going to try to sign a deal. And it's like, do I want to be caught in that, like, scramble right. of, like, dozens of deals? We've already seen that log jam play out in winter after winter now, but to have that... In addition, you know, like the number of teams are just going to say like, you know what, I I just I'm going to settle for this and good luck to you. But, you know, like the number of deals that will have to be struck, struck quickly. I can totally imagine players don't want to be caught in that. No. And I mean, I'm glad you mentioned to the Crawford that shortstop class in the free agent market is even deeper than the first base class, right? Even yeah. without Lindor and without Crawford, there's still a lot of shortstops out on the market this winter. And if I'm Javi Baez, he's still going to do fine, right? But I feel like he could have done better in a different year, you know, with, with less competition and or a better platform year, obviously for him heading into free agency. But now he's more like, you didn't get Correa, right? You didn't get one of the premium, premium shortstops, but you might strike gold with bias and maybe yeah. you get him at 20 percent less than what correa costs but it's going to be you know i always feel like these even in premium positions there's always the musical chairs problem right where there's just going to be one free agent who just gets left out at the end because not because there aren't teams that need him there's probably 20 teams that could be in bias that could use bias as mm-hmm. their sh- as shortstop or could put him in second base but there aren't teams that are willing to spend yeah enough teams right there are, everyone could afford tampa bay could afford hobby bias of course yeah. they could they just don't want to spend. Yeah. And so well, he, he strikes me as the one who might get left behind. <laughs> Look at the Oakland A's. Again, yeah. I know 
keeping it local, but it's like they don't have a second baseman and they, I mean, like, okay, Tony Kemp, like, you know, on good days. And, but, you know, again, like I can't imagine they're going to resign Jed Lowry to roll him out there one more year. You know, that that's a situation where that plus, you know, like the complete disaster that the Elvis Andrus trade was, it's like, okay, they're totally wide open in the middle infield. You could totally see how Javier Baez would be a fit for one or one, either position. Um, and maybe they surround him with moving parts, you know, like maybe that ends up being a cross position platoon, you know, with a Lowry, with whoever, whatever mm-hmm. you, you end up in and a camp and whatever, like you make it work. But that means that John Fisher would actually have to sign somebody for money. And that's just never going to happen because John Fisher doesn't want to do that. And that's kind of separate from the whole franchise situation, whether or not they're even going to be sticking around in Oakland and the fact that they're probably not going to make you know, multi-year commitments to Matt Chapman or Matt Olson. And, you know, just is the tragedy of a franchise that is, could be making, you know, like reasonable financial choices within as it, even as a low budget actor, but they don't even get to do that. They don't get to act at, you know, offer Marcus Semyon, you know, a qualifying offer, which is just, again, That's Jeffrey Loria grade insane as far yes. as like mismanaging a franchise. But again, that's not Billy Bean's call. Apparently that very much is, you know, Mr. Fisher's call. And that's unfortunate, but that's where you don't have 30 rational actors in the marketplace. You have major league baseball owners. Yes. We'll stick with the A's just for one more moment. They have Marcana heading to free agency who his case is pretty interesting. I feel like he could absolutely get squeezed into end and maybe ends up taking a one-year deal back with Oakland or with some comparable club because if you look at Canna's try, he did have the one sort of huge, but what looks a bit like an outlier year was that three, two or three years ago. And then this year, still valuable, high on base guy, but the power just sort of went away. He was never supposed to be a big power hitter. So you, I look back at that one year where he had I think, 28, 29 home runs as I wouldn't pay on the expectation that that's necessarily coming back. And he just strikes me as a type of player for as long as you and I have been covering the sport, just gets undervalued. Yeah. No, I definitely think he's, he's, I mean, and again, it's a deep class for first base. He has value in the outfield. So, I mean, again, he, he definitely hits that, you know, happy place, like multi-positional value guy. Um, that would, that, you know, like, but the pity is, yeah, he could end up being squeezed in such a way. And particularly because, unless somebody for some reason prioritizes him, uh, which would be a little strange, but say, say somebody did. Um, it, I mean, it's just, I, I just, I think he's going to be one of those guys who's probably scrambling for a contract in February. And, you know, that's, you know, he can, he can definitely have a lot of value. I, I think like, you know, like when you look at, um, I know that this has been an interesting season for a lot of role players, but you know, like when you look, I, kind of just think back on like, you know, the 2018 world series and, you know, like you end up seeing a guy like Steve Pierce, who is a, you know, like gets that professional hitter tag and gets his moment yep. in the sun. Mark Hanna can totally be that guy and he's better than Steve Pierce was. So like, you know, on that level, it's like he could totally be that valuable because he can play like, you know, plausibly play all three outfield positions and first base. Well, and, you know, like gives you that strong bat, has great strike zone judgment. And yeah, I could see, you know, like that would be the situation where if the Rays didn't already have options, you know, they, they would be the kind of team that says like, this guy fits in for us as a moving part. We actually this week, like speculated, you know, like if the 
um, you know, at the Chronicle, we had a piece which pointed out that because the Giants love their multi-positional pieces and love uh, swapping people around, that, you know, Canna would be a great choice for the Giants to look across the bay and scoop him up, especially if Brandon Belt doesn't sign. But I still think, you know, that's a situation where Canna is probably one of those guys who who gets squeezed and, and is looking at it, looking for a job in February. And it's going to be a great pickup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. One other question for you on the free agent class. So um, is there a particular starting pitcher you find would find – doesn't have to be the best one, but maybe most interesting, most attractive, the guy you'd want to take a shot at? I will, I will answer the question first also to give you a second to – to consider it. I mean, to me, I think Marcus Stroman is the best free agent in the class. I'm really interested to see what happens with Anthony DiSclefani, who has kind of remade himself as a pitcher over the course of his major league career, and especially in his time with the Giants, where it looks like, oh, actually, now this guy might be a much more complete mid-rotation starter, as long as he's fully healthy, which yeah. he seems to be for now. He's a different guy. I used to think he'd have to be a reliever because he was like a sinker slider guy without much of a third pitch. There were reasons to think he might not last as a starter, but instead he has improved his arsenal to the point where no, he's definitely a starter. Yeah, no, it, it's kind of it was kind of fun to see him turn into you know like a guy who you'd say like ah is he our floor? You know, like if I have to settle for that at five, and instead no, he's he's very clearly like yeah, a, you know like. A, a solid three or, or a very good four. And, you know, that's, that's a great thing to have. Um, I guess from my perspective, both on, on kind of a local level, I mean, cause I totally hear you on Stroman and I would love to see what Stroman can do in the right, in the right market with the right coaching staff, um, you know, with the right kind of support. I just, it's always been kind of weird as far as following around his, peregrinations around and I have to think nobody goes to the Mets and gets better and happier. Um, <laughs> it just never happens. It's, it's, it's not. Why would you ever say such a thing? It's just not in the cards, but you know, like, but that's where he would be fascinating. Absolutely. But the guy I'm kind of wondering about, and again, I know this is kind of local. I mean, there are two it's guys, fine. I guess. Stay local. Well, I mean, Gausman is the Kevin Gausman is the guy who, you know, like, again, he showed flashes 
more further flashes of his ability to dominate when he's got that splitter working, when he's got all three pitches going. Um, he's he's definitely a front of the rotation guy. He's a one or two. And, you know, like, and that's a guy who, you know, has shown so much in the last couple of years. And you can give some of the, some or all of the, I mean, whatever share of the credit you want to, to, you know, the, the, the Giants extensive coaching staff and readiness to help players kind of reinvent themselves. And uh, on the one hand, but, you know, I don't know if Gausman is as successful if he leaves the Giants, but I definitely like what I saw so much that, um, yeah, if you're not looking to spend, you know, it, you're not going to spend a hundred million dollars maybe to, to sign him. But if you're talking about a short term, high, high annual average value value deal, he would be definitely somebody I'd be interested and excited about. Uh, the other thing that of course is the total wild card, I think is obviously the Kershaw situation and how that plays out. And I, and I just, you know, I just, I, I don't know what, I, where does he go if he doesn't, if he isn't a Dodger? I mean, it's already kind of like, even in right. an era where free agency is a thing, the idea of Clayton Kershaw playing in anybody else's uniform is just still sort of like, what? I, there are just no words. It's, it's inconceivable. And, you know, like, on the other hand, it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, like, a fran- face of a franchise player, like, ends up getting in a fight over over money and you know like the dodgers say like no we're, i mean the dodgers are you know uh, pay attention they even at their price points they they pay attention to their budget and they, they say they don't want to pay clayton kershaw what clayton kershaw is used to getting paid then you know you end up with with the idea of clayton kershaw wearing somebody else's uniform if he chooses to continue to play and that's just wow yeah that is just wow right it's very hard to imagine and i mean obviously i'm not the great sentimentalist right i recognize this is a sport this is a business and players are going to move around and finish their career somewhere else sure but if you're wearing a texas rangers i mean if, if you imagine him going back to texas and it's like in a rangers jersey oh that would be horrifying oh just just not right that's just wrong yeah, um that's just wrong I, I suppose the astros but then that would be ironic on so many i mean that would be hilarious but yeah i'm like where does he go where what where do you go if you're clayton kershaw what do you what what frontiers do you want to explore i i got right because i feel like he's got to go to a team if it's not the dodgers right if the dodgers just don't show up and and say fine here's here's some substantial amount of money and it ends the discussion yeah. He's got to go to a team that has pitching already mm-hmm. and says they're willing to roll the dice on him. You know, hopefully you're healthy. And, you know, he's really good when healthy. Mm-hmm. Problem is he ends the season hurt. Mm-hmm. And so we're all like, I don't know. I don't know how to, how do I value a player where I have no idea what his output might be for the upcoming season, let alone for two or three years from now. But somebody with two established stars at the top of the rotation might say, okay, we will take a chance on. Clayton Kershaw. Oh, Clayton Kershaw and pinstripe. I mean, that's just awful. Oh, like, God, <laughs> God. Mute, mute. I'm sorry, but I'm like, yeah, if you got Garrett Cole and then, you know, okay. Dagger right to Dodgers hearts. <laughs> just twist the knife a little oh, bit. Well, got it know, in, right? It'll kill them faster. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, they did just, uh, they did lose. Or I, as I saw somebody on Twitter, I forget. I Maybe it was Molly Knight. I forget who said it. But uh, yeah, like uh, the Giants killed the Dodgers. It just took them a week to die. So 
Uh. So even <laughs> even as like you know they're out of it, um, you know, like it it yeah it that it was such a brutal outcome for Giants fans, but then it ended up being equally brutal for Dodgers fans. That yes, that is very true. Um, before we move on to uh, a separate topic, though, we did not do World Series picks. So who do you have? I'm already on record as saying the Astros. Um, it's on the athletic site. I can't escape it at this point. There's no delete function. That's okay. Um, at, at least I don't have it. So who is your pick? For all, for of, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have it both ways. And here I'll explain why. I I would look at all of the tactical factors, matchup factors, all of the reasons why, as I kind of hinted at earlier and saying like this is the best version of the Astros, so it ought to be the Astros. But I always end up thinking. What would annoy the hell, the hell out of me more than anything? It's like, yeah, the Braves. <laughs> the Braves winning in front of, like, you know, their fans in White Flight Stadium in suburban Atlanta <laughs> with a chop going. That would yep. that would annoy the bejesus out of me. And I expect, because the universe has a sense of humor, it's going to make that happen. It's going to yep. stick us with the Braves winning it all and all of us sitting there and saying, the, eight, the team that couldn't win 90 games is flying, you know, like a World Series flag. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's great. That's another great yep. moment in baseball postseason history. You can put them up. They're not quite the 85 Royals, but it is, no. you know, like it is kind of like one of those things that like just leave you saying like, really, really? Yeah. This really? Got? Okay, fine. You know, part of me thinks, all right, this team was probably better than an 88 win team, right? They had, especially like, look, they lost to Cunha, right? There, there were various arguments to say this team isn't really that bad, as bad as the one loss record. However, is there an argument that they're the best team in baseball or even the best team in the National League? No, I don't think there is. Not even close. Those are just two separate things. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, no. you know, it's it's but again, this is where I mean, I put them the probably what the uh those like the Mar the, the Marlins second win championship, you know, where mm -hmm. were was that Marlins team the best team in the National League? Oh, not not even close. But they had a very good trade deadline. They fixed their problems. Yeah. And so they went into October the best possible version of themselves. And so these Braves, obviously, and I think the other thing that might get a little lost in the discussion is Brian Snicker has been, you know, like I think a significantly different, a, a notably different and more tactically aggressive manager in the postseason this year than I think we've seen yes. in years past. And you got to give him credit for that. And whether or not that's, you know, like looking at like what other, you know, like whether it's, uh, Tony LaRusso with the 06 Cardinals or um, or the 11 Cardinals or looking at, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Jack McKeon again with that Marlins team or Bruce Bochy and so many of the Giants titles, you know, like there's a benefit to just saying there are no tomorrows. This team has to win today and, you know, running your team differently in the postseason. And so um, clearly, you know, you know, like time re repeated opportunity has maybe given Mr. Snicker an opportunity to learn a thing or two. And he's, he's just being more aggressive and it's a good thing. It's working out really well for the Braves. And so in addition to my saying, like the universe is going to piss me off and have the Braves win it all that uh, you also have to give credit, not only to the players, the general manager, but also to Brian Snicker. If that. I think this is a world series matchup of two managers who've really shown a lot of growth in the job. Um, Snicker in this one job, mm -hmm. Dusty Baker across multiple stops. I would say if you're evaluating the entire arc of his managerial career from the Giants to the Cubs, I'm not sure that that was really that we saw a whole lot of growth there. But then three subsequent stops, each 
time after that, he's been a better manager. Yeah. Like somebody brought up the 03, the overuse of Pryor and Wood and Zambrano. And yes, that's still true. I still believe he overused those guys and mm-hmm. probably contributed to um, two of them, uh, the derailing of two of their careers. However, it also seems like he learned from that, How, whether he did it himself or with the help of different organizations he went to. He manages young arms very differently now. Um, he manages young players also very differently. Young player, he really does. He had a reputation. I would tell me if you disagree, but I think he had a reputation of not being very good with young players. Yeah, when he it, was originally you know, earlier but, in his career. But he has changed that. And again, that's one of the things I love to see. We we love to see growth in players, but it's also lovely to see like growth in managers and general, like you yeah. know, in in people effectively in sports, but. So Dusty, you know, like, again, it's kind of like, you know, that he's come to this point where, you know, now he is not just, you know, skip, you know, like 92, looking back to 90 or 2002, go back to 93 and the disappointments then. And it's like that he's here now and is probably, you know, like on some level, like perhaps as a manager in his prime. I mean, that he is actually, you know, like. He's here on merit. He's here on, you know, like, an, and it's not just like inheriting a great team or anything like that. No, he did a hell of a job with the Astros. And so, yeah, I would buy that argument that this is, you know, Dusty, Dusty really putting it all together with the right roster and the right talent and being able to get the most out of them. And yeah, and, and navigating through a season that was not easy. And so, you know, like, I mean, for the Astros, they had a lot of, they had their share of in season setbacks. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know, how they adapt without McCullers in the mix, because I would have thought McCullers was the one guy who would, was really kind of built to shut the Braves lineup down, but mm-hmm. he's not in the mix. So, you know, like we'll see what the Astros do uh, to compensate for it, but uh, um, it's going to be a fun series. And yeah, the both managers have both have shown, I think you're right to identify a lot of growth this season. And that's cool. I mean, this, the season has shown, I mean, certainly it's a theme that works well for, you know, like what Gabe Kapler did with the Giants this year is a great example. Like that is not the guy who managed the Phillies three years ago. That is not that guy. This is a guy who clearly is, you know, clearly has like grown within the job and across organizations and has become the kind of person where you say like, that's a great hire, like in retrospect. And that was not the overwhelming sentiment necessarily of a lot of people when he was first hired by the giants and now it's sort of like holy he's he's something special and he is absolutely and he was allowed to i think a lot of it was that he he goes there and he's allowed to do what he wants to do Mm -hmm. well it's also interesting because that makes me think of guys like i mean again if you we we both are old enough to remember tito in his first incarnation with the phillies as well and maybe the phillies are a good organization that's like the mets there is no joy there there is no happiness (laughs) you don't want to it's like charlie manuel is the one guy who actually had the magic talisman to avoid falling down the the hole of phillies dumb but uh and career ruination but but um but yeah tito when you think about like who he was then with that Phillies team and who he became with the Red Sox and with the Indians. Um, again, that's one of those things where, you know, like as much as we might always complain about recycling of managers, sometimes there's a benefit because like they've learned something and they become better managers. And you could take that all the way back to Casey Stengel as far as like, you know, mm-hmm. like just because the guy was did not was not a good manager in his first gig does not mean that he is not going to be a good hire 
like this time around for your team. And so yep. that's that's one of the reasons why you do see recycling. Some of it is, yeah, no, I need to just have a body there. But some of it is this guy is absolutely somebody who's grown within the role and is going to be a great hire. One last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know you've been covering it quite a bit, is um, the Oakland A's stadium situations. So, and I know there's a big uh, county meeting coming up, which is going to maybe determine the fate of baseball in Oakland going forward. So uh, give us a quick sense of what's going on and what you think is likely to happen out of this uh, Alameda County. I think the exciting thing of what's going to come out of like, you know, the Alameda County supervisors vote to accept the county's so-called, you know, co-investment in the infrastructure financing district with the city uh, that would, that creates the pool that, that would definitely create the pool of money that should eliminate any of the A's uh, declared concerns on infrastructure spending for the project. So it's interesting to me that the messaging from both the A's, but also especially from the commissioner uh, in a very odd term um, to denigrate the efforts of local elected officials and city officials and uh, and say that it's just impossible to get a stadium done there. Well, you know what? City actually put together an extremely reasonable proposal on July 20th. Uh, the county, if they opt in, will have essentially made the secured, helped secure the financing. And, you know, at that point then, where is this concern that like state and local or local and city government is the problem? They're not the problem. They actually came up with the solution. So for all of the complaining that has happened from baseball, um, they're making it happen. And so the question is, do the A's want what they actually said they wanted, which is a waterfront ballpark? Because right now it's looking like city, like, like they're going to achieve that, not necessarily in the same way that the A's initially asked for, but that's where do the A's want to look the gift horse in the mouth? Do they want to like complain that they got the the off-brand solution instead of their you know ideal Christmas present? If they get the waterfront ballpark, they've got no reason to complain. But nevertheless, we get to hear more about this uh, parallel paths rhetoric and all of this nonsense about Las Vegas, and it makes me wonder ultimately whether or not the A's wanted to go to Vegas all the time all along and just we're looking for a way to make somebody else the bad guy or if they really do want what they say they want. And so that's where Mm -hmm. when the count, if the county votes for the county supervisors vote for it and accept like, you know, the opting in today, the A's really have no reason to not just stop. I mean, they should have already done this in July in my, to my way of thinking, but the A's have a chance to just shut up and declare victory and say like, Hey, we're going to get a waterfront ballpark and you guys made it happen. And thank you. And we're going to root it in Oakland after all. Um, if we instead hear some wishy-washy like, oh, well, you know, like it's a nice step forward. And, you know, like we're just going to have to continue to pursue our parallel paths and look forward to the after the World Series. We're going to ex- announce like, you know, the two or three or five sites and like, you know, the middle of the desert that we think are going to be great places to have baseball. <laughs> um, you know, like, because we're pursuing our peril. If if they stick with that rhetoric and they don't just sit there and say, like, we got a ballpark, we're going to make this happen. We are really happy and we are delighted that the city worked uh, their ass off like adults at the adult table and figured out how to make it happen after we asked for it to happen and came up with an entirely unreasonable proposal. It's, mm-hmm. It is really on the A's in baseball to basically show their hand and and agree that, you know, 
And that's where, like, again, I think if we get that vote from the county supervisors, we're definitely going to, the onus is still on baseball to come up with, you know, like, how do they screw this up? Because they've found ways right. to screw it up all spring and summer. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's just kind of ridiculous in terms of um, essentially how the, how you know, essentially the A's have embarrassed themselves in, in, in their messaging around this. But, um, and to watch effectively, you know, to watch the, the A's basically act as the way they acted all through their like spring campaign to try to intimidate the city and to give it getting what they want uh, and to go through those city council meetings where, you know, essentially everybody at the table is saying like, you know, I really do want to give you, you know, nine figures, but I wish you were nicer about it. And the effect that the A's are like, well, we don't feel we have to be nice about it. We're just going to continue to be jackasses on this subject. And it's like, Okay, I'm still giving you nine figures, but I don't like it. (laughs) You know, know, not those nine figures. It's just as public theater, it's kind of crazy. As um, how the A's have handled themselves is kind of crazy, but it does lead to questions about like, does baseball effectively? I, I, I do wonder about the big picture question about whether or not baseball does not wants to effectively beat the NBA into the Las Vegas market. And I think that's just overarching, like whether that involves expansion or franchise relocation. I do wonder if they look at, you know, again, the NHL and the NFL already getting there and whether or not they need to get there before the NBA or before the NBA puts a franchise in, in Las Vegas and whether or not that's a competitive cross sport dynamic that we have to worry about at this point that, you know, again, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the labor situation. But um, I do wonder about, like, if the A's don't move, does that mean we're probably going to see expansion sooner rather than later? That's also possible. Yes. I will say I don't think Vegas and baseball are a good match for a lot of reasons. The demographics aren't good. In fact, you and I feel like we've been talking about this no. for 15 years at least. Also, they're going to run out of water. Yeah. That whole part of yeah. the country is going to run out of water. Stop putting teams and people in the desert. Absolutely. And that, that's the part about it that is just insane. And maybe this is just me, the kid of a water policy expert. Uh, but just ah. like, you know, again, I'm like, you're, you're really thinking that it makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to figure out like the water rights landscape of Southwestern Nevada, because like which locale is going to be able to handle, you know, 81 home dates and all of the recycling uh, like even if you recycle the water for for you know like stuff like the grounds, you're still talking about a oh, shitload of toilets and literally a shitload of toilets, yeah. but a lot of toilets, a lot of water <laughs> use, and a lot of water use. That is actually the collective noun yeah. for a group of toilets. Yeah. Well, yes. Anyways, they I, I just how that works as a matter of public policy. I'm like it's probably irresponsible. Uh, should you yeah. do it at all? No, you should not. But the no. fact that again. When you're talking about billionaires and commissioners of leagues basically saying, ooh, shiny toy, um, the reptile hindbrain that seems to be driving some of these decisions just makes me wonder, are we going to get the spectacle of a baseball team moving or being created in Las Vegas and, you know, 20 or 30 years from now we're left with, well, that was a really dumb idea. And it's like, well, yes, it was a really dumb idea. You should not be, you should not put a baseball team in Las Vegas, but you know, we're probably looking at that for, you know, like whether or not it made sense to put a baseball team in Phoenix. I mean, if in 30 years. Also true. Yep. 
Well, my guest today has been the great Christina Carl. She is at the sports, uh, sorry, she's the sports editor for the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, she's formerly my colleague at ESPN. Before that, we both wrote for Baseball Prospectus. You can follow her on Twitter at Christina with an H, K-A-H-R-L. Christina, thank you so much for joining me today. Delighted to be your guest, Keith. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Just a couple of other notes on some non-baseball content. I do have an email newsletter. It is free. It is irregular. It's basically when the spirits move me and I decide I have something to say. People really liked the one I wrote this week, uh, which was a story about a hat of all things. If you go to tinyletter.com slash Keith Law, you can sign up there. And finally, I'm doing a game review a week for Paste Magazine from now through the end of the year, just because the holidays are coming up and we're dealing with kind of a backlog of games that should have been released last year, but were held back during the pandemic. So even I'm still catching up on stuff I hadn't played. So if you go to pastemagazine.com, you can find my game reviews there. My most recent one was for The Hunger, which those of you who played Magic the Gathering or have played the fantastic dice rolling game King of Tokyo, this is the same designer. It's his newest title, which actually has a lot in common with the game Clank, another uh, more recent title that I particularly like. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.